Hey. hey, you're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show, team. My name's Amelia, and today we have quite a wild show. It's a bit of an experiment, but I think it's going to be an awesome experiment. We have not just one, not just two, but we have three amazing researchers here with you today. We have Maria, who is a postdoc. We've got Tori, who's a forensic anthropologist. And we've got Helen, who's a senior scientific officer. Don't worry if you didn't catch all that. They're all going to introduce themselves in a moment. But we are doing a experimental episode where we're going to specifically be talking about the adventure that was SciComm September and talking a little bit about science communication in a bunch of different fields with people who don't know each other. So literally anything could happen, but I think it's going to be awesome. I'm going to start with Tori. Able to tell us a quick bit about what your job is? Yeah, sure. Hi there. Thanks, Amelia, for inviting me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. So I'm a forensic anthropologist, not currently practicing just because I'm in school doing my PhD. But my project is looking at using different technologies to find covert burials. So when someone is murdered and they get put in a grave, those by nature are really difficult to find. And my research is looking at using geophysical techniques to try and locate them before we start to dig. I have some pig burials at some research facilities. I'm also using human burials at research facilities to see how these, how well these techniques can detect burials. And yeah, I'm really excited to see the results. I'm only about a year and a half in, so it's still early on, but I'm also a lecturer. This is all at the University of Newcastle. I feel like I should say that. And I'm a lecturer in criminology. And it's been quite a wild experience because I'm now realizing how well science and social science seem to fit together, especially when it comes to the law. So yeah, that's me. Wow. Well, we could probably have done just an hour on that, but we also have two other amazing people here. Maria, can I get you to introduce yourself as well? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for the invitation, Amelia. So excited to be here to be part of your experiment. Um, so my name is Maria Cabrera. I am a postdoc researcher at the Safe Site Institute, which is a center of the University of Sydney. Uh, originally, I am a medical doctor, and then I moved to Australia 10 years ago. I did a Master of Public Health and a PhD in ophthalmology. So in my PhD, I, I developed some treatment guidelines for an eye infection called herpes simplex keratitis. And I finished it two years ago. I still work in the same institute. And then now my research is on the epidemiology of eye infections, particularly infections in the cornea. And also I'm establishing an antimicrobial resistance surveillance program for eye infections. Also, I started last year a podcast. It's called Sydney Eye Podcast. The aim is to inform patients about eye conditions, how to prevent them and also to inform research news in, in eye conditions. So the podcast is available in different platforms, such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. So basically it's what I'm doing now. Fantastic. Also totally different, but really, really interesting and important work as well. And last but not least, Helen. 
So hi, I'm Helen Williams. I'm a senior scientific officer and I work at Westmead Hospital. I work in the area of cardiovascular disease and that means that diseases that affect the heart and the blood vessels. And there's lots of different research in this area and all of it's really cool and a really important area to look at because every 12 minutes one Australian will die of cardiovascular disease and lots of people know someone who has been affected by this. Lots of people know someone who's had a heart attack or who has had a stroke. Now, the main reason these events occur, heart attacks and strokes, is because of fatty wounds that can develop in our blood vessels. And if they weaken and rupture, they can form those clots, and those clots are what underlies heart attacks and strokes. Now, I look at blood samples from people who have cardiovascular disease or who have risk factors for cardiovascular disease and look at a type of cell in that blood vessel. I look at a type of white blood cell, and they're called monocytes. And I look for how they change in people who have cardiovascular disease or those risk factors because those cells can then go on to influence whether those wounds in our blood vessels rupture or whether they stay nice and strong when they do occur. Pretty much if we can find changes that occur in cardiovascular disease or with risk of it, then we can hopefully find ways to stop those changes happening or to reverse them so that we can stop those wounds from rupturing and stop people from having strokes and heart attacks. So I really love working in this area. I think it's something that kind of affects lots of people. And I also enjoy the lab aspect because I get to use microscopes and flow cytometers and all sorts of other cool lab equipment. That's awesome and incredibly important work as well, because I think almost all of us know someone who's been directly affected by cardiovascular issues. Okay, so we've got these three amazing people and they're all doing very interesting things. You might be wondering, how on earth are we going to join them together? What are they all here for? Well, all three were actively involved in the SciComm September initiative where there was a post every second day where people were encouraged to post about their work and their research. And all three people, Maria, Tori and Helen, were all actively involved at some point during that, that process and they all shared some of their research, which has been fantastic. Maria, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you found out about SciComm September. <laughs> so, well, it was very simple on Twitter because <laughs> I, I have my podcast. So every day I try to engage a lot with other podcasters or with the hashtag podcast, whatever <laughs> happens there. So then probably just came out in my feed and then I saw your podcast and what you have done. And then you posted this and then I thought, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I'm going to join. And then also because here in Sydney, we, we were in lockdown. So what else you can do <laughs> apart from your job? Just log into your social media and try to promote your work as well. So yeah, it was, it was really exciting to follow the prompts and then wedding every second day. Because every second day I was thinking, ah, today I need to post something for Psychom September. <laughs> That's awesome. Is that a similar experience for you, Helen? I actually was quite directly told about it by a fellow researcher. And so, as I said before, there are lots of really cool researchers in cardiovascular disease. And at the end of last year, they formed a group of early career researchers and they called us the cardiovascular champions. And they put us together for a program to try to teach us about ways to communicate with different audiences, how to get better at telling our science stories and things like that. And one of the people who helped organize that was Francine Marquez. And she pretty much at the end of the program said, hey, guys, this is coming up. I reckon you should do it. And so those of us who 
I guess were up to the challenge, decided to do it. So I have her to thank for my involvement in it. And I found it really enjoyable as well. A good motivator to have prompts every couple of days. But because it wasn't every single day, then you're like, yeah, of course I can do this. It's not too labor intensive. So yeah, I thought it was brilliant. And I'm so glad that she recommended it to me. That's fantastic. It's good to know that I had my suspicion that there were like positive super spreaders out there who got into communities and because there did seem to be a a higher representation of some scientific groups than others. So it's good to know that she was one of them. (laughs) Tori, what about you? How did you find out about the challenge? My story is a bit similar to Maria's, except I don't have a podcast. I was using Twitter and I'm really new to social media as a professional tool. Um, it was never something I was taught in my previous degrees and previous work, but somehow it came up through, you know, a retweet or a like of someone else that I follow that there was this initiative starting called SciComm September. And then I think I went maybe to your profile and saw it and I was like, well, me being new to all of this, um, it's a great way to put my work out there. Even letting the Other people at the university know what my work was, seemed to be a really unexpected outcome from it all. So yeah, it was a surprise, but worked out really well. That's interesting what you just said then, because I think often science communication is focused on scientists to the public, but I think there's also a huge amount of potential in scientists to scientists as that sort of like cross-pollination. And then also just within our own teams and things. I don't know how much we know about what everyone else is doing. Was it sort of helpful from that perspective? Yeah, it actually made me realize how much of my field is out there. I mean, not at my university. I'm probably the only one doing many forensic science-based research, but even other universities around Sydney. And then I follow a lot of people in the UK doing similar research. And it was just a really good way Once I started posting about my science, I realized that Twitter's algorithm started showing me other people's science and I got to see what other people in similar fields were doing. And it it was really eye-opening. I love that idea that it it could help people feel like they're part of a bigger community and we're not just like solo researchers by themselves. (laughs) I am curious, Helen, what did you feel like was one of the bigger challenges of the whole SciComm September concept, was there anything that was particularly hard or frustrating or anything? Oh, definitely not frustrating. It was really enjoyable overall. One thing that was hard for me was I work part-time and so I had to kind of look at which days were already on work days and say, okay, add that into my to-do list for the day. But for the ones that were a day off, I thought I better set an alarm for that because otherwise I'm going to forget that there's something I'm supposed to be doing today. But it wasn't really a a bad thing. It was challenging, but it was good that I'm like, okay, what's the next prompt? Oh, it's in two days time. Let's set an alarm for that and think a bit about what that prompt is so I have a good answer for it. Another thing that I found challenging was that there were so many people posting so many cool things and some of them were links to videos that went for a few minutes. And I thought, there's no way I can see what everyone else is posting. I'm just going to have to look at some of what people are posting and enjoy accessing what I can see and know that there's going to be some stuff that I'm going to miss out on just because there's not enough time to look at everything. And on that note, you did an amazing job on keeping on top of what lots of people were posting. I see that you went in and looked at what lots of people were doing and responded to it. And every time you responded to something I I did, I thought, 
how does she have time to look at this when she has so many people participating in this challenge? So those were the things I found difficult, trying to remember when I needed to post and trying not to go down the rabbit hole of trying to read everything everyone else had done. That's very fair. I think the last thing we want to do is actually encourage any kind of social media addiction. One of the things I'm thinking about for next year is I would really love to encourage people to schedule their posts so that you don't feel like you have to be online on that day. So you can take the day off. And I think we might put out some materials on how how to schedule and that sort of stuff. So when you're having that like social media flow and you can think of all the posts, you can do like a couple of days in advance. Tori, any any particular challenges that sort of leap out at you? It literally feels like a lifetime ago that we did this, to be honest with you. I feel like so much has happened in the 15 days since it ended. But I think for me, I'm really new to communicating my science to, you know, a broader group other than just my schoolmates or my teachers and professors. So it was difficult for me to, like some of the questions you were asking, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I had never and never would have thought of that on my own. So because I hadn't thought of it, I had to come up with answers like, like I had to actually sit and think about a few of them because I had never really done something like this before. But it, you know, it opened my eyes into how communicating our science is really, really important. So yeah, I found it challenging just because I hadn't really done anything like this before. But, you know, each week or each day, each second day was something new that I was thinking about or thinking about my science in a new way each second day. And I really liked that. I am honestly amazed to think that like the handful of little prompts that I put on a card could have such an impact on someone. It's awesome though. And do you think, Tori, that you'll be able to like keep on communicating your science in this way? I think so. And I actually saved the posts that you had created with all the day's prompts. So if I'm feeling, you know, I haven't posted anything in a while or haven't, you know, said anything about my research, I can go back and just, you know, not specifically for SciComm September, but just use one of those prompts as an idea for a post just to keep my presence, you know, known, my science out there and then communicate with people who are in similar areas. And Obviously, I'm also using this whole episode to like steal ideas for Avid Researcher's future. And if putting out like suggestions of posts and that sort of stuff is helpful, then 100% I can put together some of those and hopefully encourage people to keep going because there was some great momentum. It was awesome. Yeah, I think that would be really, really great and really meaningful, especially for people like me who haven't had a lot of experience communicating what we do and what we love. And just to anyone, to yourself, Tori, and to anyone else who's listening, for those people who uh, were new to either social media and sharing, and also like a whole lot of people took up different social media accounts, particularly TikTok, I think that is incredibly brave and massive kudos to everyone who went outside their comfort zone and actually tried something new because it's scary and For all three of you, your expertise is in doing really awesome research and helping understand the world better. And then taking that extra step to then share that with people is, it's important, but it's also scary. And so high five to all of you for having a go. Maria, any particular challenges that leapt out at you? Uh, For me, probably there were a couple of prompts that, well, I had to reflect on them. 
And then it was easy just to or introduce yourself or sharing your psychom or your decks, things like that. It's not too much to think about it. But for example, biggest challenge or your challenges, I was thinking, oh, what is the difference? <laughs> or what do I say here? There are not enough characters on Twitter that you can express everything. And you don't want to do all this long trail, no, because at the end of the day, it could be missing among all the messages all the posts, but there were a couple of, I actually didn't know what to post on them. <laughs> it was really hard. For, for example, the art of your STEM or Basta myth, because, well, I work in ophthalmology and vision science, but what I do is more data analysis and epidemiology. So there is nothing like amazing from a experiment or a microscope photo, no, that probably people that work in the lab can show something amazing and beautiful. So that's why I was thinking, oh, what do I do here? <laughs> so yeah, it was it was challenging, but it wasn't difficult to write every second day. Actually, I was looking forward to it in my mornings because <laughs> usually I post something on Twitter. I'm engaging with people on Twitter in the, in the mornings. So it, it was fine for me, but then it was more the prompts. So even you said in one of your videos that you had to clarify the challenges, things like that. So. Yeah, maybe explain that a bit better. Definitely. And uh, next year, Bev, we're going through a whole different assessment of which prompts will stay, which ones will go, and we've got some ideas for some new ones as well. So don't worry, you won't have to say the same things again next year either. Tori, as sort of like the self-professed newest person to sharing your research on the socials, how has being involved in something like this, which has sort of kick-started your science communication. How has that sort of helped you in any other aspects of your professional life? Well, it made me realize that, like, I always stayed away from social media because I honestly thought, this is going to sound bad. I always thought, like, oh, no one's really going to care what I do. But being on Twitter now as a professional, I realized that there are so many people out there that do similar work and, you know, they post stuff that I'm interested in and they actually do care. Like people really do care about what we do, even if in my mind it's like really obscure and, you know, I'm such a niche sort of topic. So now I think I'm, I'm a bit braver in communicating what I do. And I mean, I'm so used to talking to people who don't have a science background. So I sort of talk about it in a very general way. But I find when you know, you meet someone, even if it's just on Twitter, you can who's in a similar field, you can have a more in depth conversation about it. It's given me the bravery, as silly as that sounds to reach out to people now when I see them post something interesting. Now I can, you know, reach out to them, talk about my research, and then hopefully we can have a dialogue. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love talking to the general public about my research. I do because I think it's so important. It needs to be out there. But I also love talking to, you know, a fellow scientist in a same or similar field. And we can, you know, really get down to the nitty gritty of, of our research. I really like that. And I think SciComm September gave me the bravery to do that. Oh, that is so cool to hear. <laughs> I'm curious, Helen, how would you, like, has it influenced your science communication practice as a professional at all as well? Yeah, it's definitely given me a lot of inspiration for future posts. So as Tori was saying earlier, 
some of the things that you'd put as prompts are not things we'd necessarily think of. And so they give you ideas of what you could do in future posts. I guess I want to do more engagement and I want to do more outreach to people, but sometimes I think, what are people even interested in? What should I tell people about that people actually will want to hear? And so having those prompts to look back at means that I could go back to them and say, oh, yeah, this was really good. This had people interested in it. Maybe I'll talk more about that. One of the things I think was really useful about it was that you gave prompts that weren't just relating to you know, your lab or your work or your background. It's also about you as a person. And for a while, when I started doing communication in my science, I thought people only really want to know about my work. They don't want to know about me as a person because they only care about the science. But I've realized over time that people want to see the person behind the science. They want to know that you're a, a human. And so I've summed that down to you're not just a fact, but you're a whole human and people want to know about that. And it makes your work a lot more relatable if people can see that you also have other interests. You're not just always in the lab doing this work. Another thing I think has been really useful about it is I think that it helps me deviate a bit from the sort of spiel. So when people ask about what you do, I'm so used to saying what I do to other people who work in cardiovascular disease. And it kind of becomes a bit of a script and it's hard to sound enthusiastic when you're talking about the same thing to the same audience all the time. But engaging with different audiences over Twitter, people who are in your field or in research but not in your specific field or who are scientists but not medical researchers or even people who have no science experience, knowing that there are different groups out there and that you need your work or your posts to be accessible to all of them means that I tend to be less likely to just use that same spiel and I'm more likely to use a very simple introduction to what I do and then see where people go with that and what they want to ask to follow up. So think a bit more about the many aspects of what I do. Think a bit more about how my personal life influences me as a scientist and think a bit more about when other people engage with me, not to assume what they want to hear, but listen to hear what they want from me and then respond to that. That is so many awesome things. And I love that even just hearing the differences between you and Tori, like they're quite, you're getting all sorts of different things out of this. And that was one of my favorite parts was actually seeing how human all these people in STEM, like obviously we all know that STEM professionals and scientists are humans and they have interests other than that one branch of science. But it was so wonderful to see like the rich diversity of people and their interests and hopefully it it was exciting to you all as it was to me as well. (laughs) Maria, was there anything that has sort of inspired you to go further with SciComm, etc.? Hopefully it's inspired your podcast to to keep ticking along. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, because when when you have your podcast, you need to keep reminding people that it's out there and access other platforms maybe as you said instagram or tiktok explore different ways but of course seeing all these posts inspire me to communicate my research in a different way because sometimes you think "Ah, i'm just gonna post a photo and that's it but some people did great amazing videos so you think ah maybe this is a way that you can explore as well as also as you were saying it's not just only Share your work, also share a little bit about yourself, like many influencers around the world do as well. And on Instagram, is they, they just not promote the whatever they're promoting, they also show themselves in their daily life. So 
those um, those prompts, for example, share your daily in the life or desk, things like that also show you as a human as well, not just a, a researcher. So um, yeah, it has inspired me a lot, a lot, a lot. That's awesome to hear. I am curious, what are some of the biggest challenges to science communication that you all experience? Like, are there any particular barriers or skills that you feel you need, etc.? I might start here with Helen. Honestly, one of the challenges for me is trying to strike the right balance between being positive about all the amazing things in science and being realistic about the situation women in science tend to face or other minority groups in science. Because, of course, I want to inspire people to take up science. I want to let young women and girls know you can be a scientist if you want to. But I also am painfully aware that the situation is not an equal playing field. And I don't want it to all be doom and gloom. I don't want to be telling people, yeah, get into science, but you're not going to be able to stay there because the funding is insufficient and lots of good people have to leave. So it's trying not to only show the positive things but also trying not to be a bit of a downer about some of the negative things about the situation we're in. Yeah. And as someone who runs a podcast about STEM careers, this is a problem that I think about a lot. Have you solved that problem by any chance? No, (laughs) I'd love to say I had. I think there are lots of people working on solving it, but I guess in terms of striking the balance, I just try to be real about it. So if people ask about what the bad things are, I will try to be realistic about it. And that's one of the reasons it's good that you had two posts relating to challenges. So I was able to respond to those in different sorts of ways and talk about my personal challenges, but also talk about the challenges of medical science and science in general. So I think that having the space to talk about that is important and valuable. And I think being honest with people when they ask you about it. And on a more local level, if you've got students, make sure they are aware of what the situation is and make sure that they have the skills that they need, not just to follow in whatever your footsteps are, but to try other paths as well. Because you don't want to assume that the way you've done things is going to work out for everyone who works with you and reports to you and assume things if they've worked out for you are going to work out for them as well. On a side note about this, my my niece the other day was asking me about science and she said, okay, can you wear makeup? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. You can do that. I thought it's good that the questions she's interested in are the ones that I can answer really positively because she's only eight. I don't want to tell her about the realistic aspects of the situation. I want her to be excited about science. So everything she asked me, I could give her a really positive spin and be like, oh yeah, you get to work in a lab, you get to do cool things, you can wear as much makeup as you want as long as it's not a work health and safety issue. That is such a beautiful little thing. And I think there's a a specific scientist who I'm following on Instagram who's also a ballerina. Uh, It might be worth showing some photos of her because she's an amazing ballerina and an amazing scientist as well. So you can be more than one thing and you are a letter wear makeup. (laughs) Uh, Tori, did you want to jump in here? Yeah, it's just, Helen, to what you were saying about the difficulties of being a scientist. Just today, it so happens, I came across a meme on, it was probably Twitter, but it was like, don't become a scientist, everyone. It's a trap. If you have good results, you have to do more experiments. And if you have bad results, you have to do more experiments. And (laughs) it just made me laugh because, I mean, it's true. Regardless of the good or bad results that we get, we have to do more. Like, it's never really, there's never an end. Like, you may have a question. 
you may get an answer, but then, you know, you have 20 other questions and maybe no answers. So it was just, that's what I thought of when you were talking about the difficulties of being a scientist. And I often find, you know, if I get a bit down about the difficulties of being a scientist, I'd like to resort to humor. And, you know, there's some pretty good PhD life posts about, you know, everyone else is having the same struggles that I am. And I find humor sometimes can help getting through those difficult moments of whether or not what you're doing is worth it. That's a beautiful interjection, isn't it? Like, I guess unlike being, say, a house painter or even a designer or something where you can, you have a job, you do the job, the job is finished. Science is never finished. And in some ways that's beautiful and awesome. And it means there's lots of questions to be asked and it's not finished. That's great. But also, I guess if you want some level of resolution, (laughs) you could be waiting a while. (laughs) I'm glad you found some humor that helps get you through, Tori. Maria, was there anything you wanted to jump in here on this one? Yeah, so, well, of course, as a, as a woman and also you face a lot of challenges in science. And in my case that I'm a foreigner, let's say, I'm not, I'm not a native English native speaker. So I was an international student, so I had to learn perfection in my English and so on. So there are even more, more challenges at some point. But then if you are really passionate about what you do, what you like, of course, you understand all these issues, all these barriers. But if you are surrounded by good uh, supervisors, uh, mentors, peers, so when these difficulties come, you can maybe go around them. You can also evolve as the time goes by, uh, start new collaborations. You have to, at some point to re- reinvent yourself. Yeah, so as long as you are passionate and love what you do, it's always room for improvement and also you need to acquire new skills. So, for example, in my case, my supervisor told me a couple of years ago that it is now super important when you apply for grant applications to also show the impact of your work. And then the impact now is also measured on your engagement in social media, how you disseminate, share your work, your research. And in that way, you need to learn how to communicate it to lay people. So that's why I did a course in science communication. And then I started learning all these ways to communicate better my research. And then that's why I started the podcast, because I wanted to also give um, some information to patients. Because no? sometimes the doctors give these weird words in the consulting rooms, and then they really don't, don't understand. So um, that was a challenge, trying to learn how to produce a podcast or even how to post on Twitter, on Instagram. That takes time. It's not easy to do all your, by yourself. And even on Instagram, how to do carousels, how to do reels and so on. That takes time. But then if you like what you do, it won't matter at some point. Yeah, I th- you're doing an amazing combination of work. So I'm very impressed at all of you keeping up with everything. Big job. Tori, is there anything specific that you learnt during the SciComm September challenge that you'd like to share? Actually, as a specific fact, and this may not be the point of the question, but as a specific fact that I learned from SciComm September, I learned that koala fingerprints are almost exactly the same as human fingerprints. And, you know, as someone who loves forensic science, that was, that floored me. Not that we'll probably ever come across a case where 
there'll be a crime scene that you'll mix up koala and human fingerprints. That would be so messed up and the most amazing like murder mystery like piece of the killer koala right like jokes on you it was a koala (laughs) exactly so that was probably the one thing that stuck in my mind and honestly whoever posted it I don't remember now it made my day and I think about it often and it just makes me really happy when I think about and that's probably one of the best things I learned over the month of Psycom September. Nothing to do with my own research, but it just, I was really, really happy with that fact. And I'm now really, really miffed because I missed that fact. And I'm grateful to you for sharing it with me because now I get to carry it with me for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's just such a cool fact. I can't get over it. And see, look, scientists learn from each other. Mind blown. Maria, was there any particular thing that you learned from this month that you'd like to share? Uh, well, I don't remember exactly the any particular fact, but I, I really like some all the amazing projects that are out there because I'm in medicine and ophthalmology and then sometimes you focus too much in vision and medicine and so on. And then you see things in biology, in geology, in, for example, the koala fact, things like that. So you are amazed how many people and projects are out there. And also how they promoted uh, the videos, the photos, all the visual uh, aids. Uh, so it was amazing. Yeah, really inspiring. That's cool. People doing stuff with different ways of sharing that I'd never seen before. And I was like, that's impressive. That's pretty cool. Helen, was there anything particular that you learned? I too missed out on the koala fingerprints. So I'm really glad that Tori shared that with us today. But one fact I learned was about volcanoes spitting out rocks from really deep within the Earth's surface. And even though we can't drill down to where those rocks are, the fact that volcanoes spits them out means that people can get a look at what's down there, even though they can't reach it with drills. And I just thought that was amazing. So I just thought that was a really cool thing. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have been a geologist. (laughs) But yeah, I, I love hearing about what other people do. And in terms of SciComm in general, it reinforced something I learned in the CV Chance program. So one of the things that got reinforced from me learning in the Cardiovascular Champions program was that a lot of people consume content silently. And so they'll be scrolling through Twitter with their sound off. And so if a video comes up and it hasn't got subtitles, it can be really annoying. And since hearing that fact in that program, every time I'm on Twitter, I realize my sound's off and this person's posted a video without subtitles and I have no idea what's going on and I can't turn the sound on because then my kids will come and notice that I'm watching TV. And so it meant since that I'm trying to make more effort to make my content more accessible, making sure that I put in subtitles if it's a video, make sure I do alt text for images and things like that. So it's kind of reinforced by seeing what other people do. And when you find a video or a picture that does have those additional notes to help you understand it, that's a really valuable thing to do and replicate in your own SciComm. And I think that's definitely something that I noticed because I don't like the noise of social media. That's why TikTok is kind of a bit overwhelming. But definitely, I think the more that we can think about accessibility and I think sharing more about that sort of just the way that people consume social media is really important. So Tori, you're also in agreement, none of this noisy social media stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. I I actually really dislike the sounds on my phone. Like I don't even usually have my ringtone on because I just don't like it. So when I'm scrolling, it's usually when I'm doing something else or there's another sound on. So 
I A, don't like the sound or B, can't have it on and really truly appreciate when people have videos with subtitles because then I can read it and watch it and not have to listen to it. I find myself, if it's, you know, something that I think is going to be interesting and it doesn't have subtitles, I'm like, oh, I'll have to remember to watch this later, except I never, ever remember to watch it later. So, you know, it's a, a lost opportunity to see or watch something and learn something new. And I don't know how many of you use Instagram, but it is now possible in creating a video to get the auto-generated subtitles, which they're not always perfect, but uh, they're often quite a bit, well, they're, they're at least a good start. So again, that looks like some content that I can share with everyone is how to put subtitles on videos because it's not too hard. And if you do it right, you don't have to listen to yourself speak over and over and over again, which is the worst. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all this. Now, is there anything that Avid Research or like the community that's sort of built up in general, is there anything that we can do to help you maintain your site's communication? Uh, starting with Maria. Yeah, so I think that we can do is support each other by sharing our content. Yeah, so for example, well, it depends on the platform that you are on, but on Twitter, the problem is that your tweet only is like a lie for a minute, and then after that, it's just buried. <laughs> and then that's why they ask you, oh, tweet three times a day or tweet very often. So you see something and then just retweet it or comment on it. Uh, If it's on Instagram now, it depends on the updates and the algorithms and so on. But then if you share or if you save it, if your comment is what it makes more uh, valuable. So if you, yeah, if we support each other and then in that way, uh, probably that will help us a lot in in communicating our, our message because at some point, you spend all this time preparing a post or a video, and then you, if you don't see the likes or the, ins, the analytics, if they are not what you were expected, sometimes you feel blue, like, oh my God, this is worth it. Can I still continue doing that or not? But then if we support each other, that would be a great value on all our work. It does often feel like we're screaming into the void. And the void's just like, eh. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's like, is there a point to keep producing podcasts or not? <laughs> when you don't see a number of downloads or dikes or so on. It's hard. Okay, so a bit of commenting and sharing. I like that. Tori, anything we can do to support you? I really like getting little prompts. Like, obviously, SciComm September was a whole month thing. So every two days you did a post. But even just like a shout out like, here's a little blurb about my science. Let's hear from this person, this person, this person. And then if they respond, yay. If not, you know, it's not a big deal, but it's just a chance for you and other people to get your science out there. I mean, for me, my job doesn't require me on a daily basis to communicate my science. Obviously, at the end of my PhD, I will have it communicated, but I don't have to, you know, create video content or I don't have to, for my job, communicate my science daily, but it would be nice for someone like me who kind of just does it kind of for fun, kind of to get, you know, yourself and your name out there or your work out there to have little prompts, even if it's just, you know, every couple months, whatever, like it's just, you know, hey, let's hear from the scientists out there. What are what are you working on today kind of thing? And it just gives people a chance to to speak up. 
that's relatively easy to do. I reckon we can make that happen. <laughs> I like that. And yeah, I like the idea of people tagging each other. And I think that's where that community builds up a bit more is where we tell other people about awesome stuff that's happening or yeah, just share stuff kind of more publicly. I also love, and I mean, I guess it's a bit counteractive to SciComm, but I love when people at, like you see the prompts to describe what you do badly or like describe what you do in like three or four words. Like I love reading what people come up with when you either have to describe it badly or you only have, you know, less than a sentence to describe this really complicated subject. I love that. It just, it always makes me laugh and it really makes you think if you can, if you only have like four or five words to describe a whole niche field of research. And I think we could also do other versions of that, like describe your field of research using emojis or GIFs because they, they kind of took off during the challenge a bit. There's a lot of potential with that. But yeah, that'd cool be great. Ways. Helen, what about you? I think the points the other two have raised are really great. So I think Maria was saying about helping each other retweeting things if you think that they're good and pretty much helping people promote the tweets that are working out well, especially if you can see that they've put a lot of effort into doing it, then it's a really nice way of, I guess, showing them that you aren't just shouting into the void and that other people have enjoyed what you've put forward and that you sharing it means that that will get a wider audience. And yeah, I think that what Tori was just saying about those prompts being really useful. I think those prompts have already helped and that if any prompts keep coming, then that's a really good way of helping people. But obviously, I don't want to tell you that you should be giving us prompts all the time. Just having them there in the first place does help us to communicate because it means we've got something to go back to when we go, I want to share something. What can I share? Those prompts are there for us to give us that guidance. So I think you've already helped, but we can continue to help each other by sharing good stuff we see online. And I think having the confidence to share and interact with people who are in other fields, that's also going to be have a lot of potential, especially if you come across like a geology fact and you're like, that's really cool. You can just respond to someone and say, that's really cool. Not too scary and might make someone's day. They are wonderful. Thank you all for sharing them. And to start wrapping up, I'm going to ask each of you for a shout out for someone who you think is doing an awesome job, preferably in SciComm, but in whatever field that you may like, starting with Tori. Shout out to someone in SciComm. I would love to shout out my supervisor and colleague and friend. Her name is Dr. Xanthi Malich. She's also at the University of Newcastle. She's a forensic criminologist and she does a lot of great work in the field of forensic science and also criminology. And I definitely wouldn't be where I am without her. So big shout out to her. Thank you. That's awesome. And over to Maria. Okay. My case that there is a podcast and, and a, a channel on, on YouTube is called Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. And they talk about anatomy, physiology uh, for students, but also for layman people. So it's really cool how in two minutes they explain Things like, for example, the COVID vaccine or things like that. So it's really cool how they have improved their videos and podcasts. So I really recommend it. So I definitely have to give a shout out to Mozzie Bites, uh, Dr. Cameron Webb. He works at Westmead Hospital in medical entomology. And so everything he does is mosquitoes. 
And honestly, I hate mosquitoes. I'm really attractive to them for some reason and they bite me and I get these nasty welts as a result. So I don't like them. But the stuff he posts about mosquitoes is really cool. And one time he posted an image of a mosquito that was almost beautiful. But he also does some cool stuff. He does a lot of writing for the conversation and he links it into, I guess, pop culture and things like that. So he's written about whether in the Star Wars universe, a mosquito bite could cause someone to become a Jedi and how in Jurassic Park, the mosquito that they've used is not a mosquito that actually sucks blood. So there's no way that they could have gotten dinosaurs from that particular type of mosquito. And so he's kind of like who I would aspire to be like in Psycom because all of his stuff is factual, but it makes you learn and remember stuff about mosquitoes when you don't necessarily even want to learn about mosquitoes. So I just think that's really cool. And I, I love seeing what I'll do. But he's also really generous at sharing his time and his pointers on how to engage with different environments and in the media and things. So yeah, if you're not following him, he's a really great one to, to follow. That's awesome. He's, he's a legend. Thank you all so much for coming on the show. You are all absolute legends and wonderful people. And I am looking forward to sharing some more of your science communication soon. So I've really enjoyed this little chat today, not just being able to talk about my experiences, but being able to listen to Maria and Tori talk about their experiences too, getting to hear about how koalas might be able to get away with murder and some other cool things. So thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed this and I look forward to listening to this and your other podcasts in future. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you so much. This has been a really great experience. It's been really nice getting to know you all. I really liked how none of us knew each other and kind of threw us into this talk, you know, and it turned out really, really well. So thank you for including me. And I look forward to all your future content for all of you. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Dory. Maria? Thank you, Amelia, for the invitation. It was so exciting to be part of this. Uh, it was actually my first podcast. Well, I have done podcasts, but interviewing, no, being interviewed. So this is really great. And also to meet uh, two fabulous researchers in two different fields that I work on. So thank you for your time and looking forward to your content. Thank you. You're all amazing. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, you're an absolute gem of a human being and you should head over to avidresearch.com.au, sign up for our amazing email newsletter and get all the download on the upcoming episodes and maybe even get a bit of a sneak peek about what's coming next. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you should definitely subscribe. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and even Google these days. Thanks.